are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Amen. I'm glad for the story that never grows old, aren't you? And uh, I tell you what, I just, I love being in church. I, it doesn't matter if it's indoors, outdoors, upstairs, downstairs, big place, small place. There's just something about being with the people of God. I was thinking today, when I was a kid, we used to have a revival meeting that started the first Sunday in June and went till July the 4th. And we had services every night for a month. And I thought, how wonderful it would be if we could go back to those days. Now, don't anybody have a heart attack? We don't have that in the plans, all right? Uh, some of you struggle just to make it, the, the services that we have. Uh, but, you know, the writer of Hebrews said that we ought to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Can I say we need more church, not less church? We need more of God, not less of God. We need to spend more time with Him, not less time with Him in these days. I look over the horizon tonight and I notice that it's very hazy. The, the, the smoke clouds have moved in. And I thought how that is like our life today. Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. And right now we don't understand everything that's going on to us. Our vision is blurred. But can I say there's somebody on the other side who sees what's going on. There's somebody who has perfect vision, who knows, and he has a plan, and he's working his plan, and if we'll just trust him, he's going to see us through. I want you to take your Bible tonight with me, and I want you to turn to several passages. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew chapter number 17. I would like you to put your finger there. And then when you've got your place marked in Matthew chapter 17, I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter number 9. The gospel of Mark chapter number 9. And then once you've got those two places marked, if you have the ability to really be talented and turn to a third portion, I want you to look at Luke chapter number 9. Now, I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to read these three accounts to us. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Then if we turn to the gospel of Mark chapter 9, and we begin our reading in verse number 2, we read this account. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. 
And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And then if we were to turn to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 9, we'll take up our reading in verse number 28. And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud, and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. There came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, we have expressed our gratitude for all that you have done as we've lifted our voices and sung your praise. Lord, we thank you for every part of the service. Thank you for those who have given and those who will give as they leave this place. Lord, thank you for those who have made the sacrifice to give up of their time and come and assemble with us this evening. And now, Lord, as we've read in our scripture text in each passage, I've been reminded of how the admonition came to those disciples on that Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son, hear him. And Lord, tonight, that's what we want to do. We want to hear you. We want you to speak to us. We need to be encouraged, and I pray that you would lift the drooping spirits that may be here tonight. We need to be challenged for the days which lie ahead, and I pray that you would challenge those who have become lackadaisical or those who have become at ease in this situation. And I pray that when we leave here tonight that we might love you more dearly. That most certainly we might see you more clearly. And when we leave that we might determine in our heart to walk with you more nearly each and every day that passes. Help us and we'll thank you for it. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. This evening our attention is drawn to the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ as is recorded for us by various gospel writers. Most Bible scholars would say that this event took place on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is located some 35 miles north of the Sea of Galilee and its peak surpasses 9,000 feet in elevation. Now with the Lord on this occasion, he took with him three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in our text, we read of the accounts of what transpired on that mountain. I find it very interesting that while Peter, James, and John were with him, the Holy Spirit chose Matthew, Mark, and Luke to record what happened. And that's the way God does. He uses unusual ways. 
He took three men who were not there to write about what men who were there experienced while they were there. And that's the way God does. It's a miraculous book. You see, there are some slight variations in these accounts that we read tonight. But I want to remind you that these variations are not by accident or by happenstance. For we are told in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21 that prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so these variations are given to us intentionally as a deliberate act of the Holy Spirit. This means there is a purpose behind them. There must be something that we can learn from them. And I notice in particular, as I've read these passages this evening, as I've been looking at them, I notice in particular that each writer uses different terms to describe the garments of the transfigured Christ. Matthew will say that his garments are white as the light. Mark will tell us that his garments are exceeding white as snow, such as no fuller on earth can white them. And Luke will tell us that his garments are white and glistering. And for the next few minutes, I want us to just take a few uh, minutes and turn our thoughts aside from other things. And for the next few minutes, I want us to look and see what the glory reveals. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse number two, again, uh, the Bible tells us that he was transfigured and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. This reminds us of the fact that when Christ came into this world, he came as a prophet. That's what a prophet's job was, was to carry the light. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter one and verses one and two, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Luke wrote in chapter 24 and verse number 19 concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. When the widow of Nain's son was raised to life, in Luke chapter 7, the people declared, a great prophet is risen up among us. After Jesus taught on the living water, the people responded by saying in John chapter 7 and verse number 40, of a truth, this is the prophet. A prophet came and carried the light of God's revelation to men. Think of all that Christ revealed to those who heard his voice. He brought to them light concerning instruction on prayer. He said, when thou prayest, and he began to teach them how to pray. He brought us light concerning the inception of world evangelism. For he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus himself brought us information and shed light on the subject of the Father's house. For he's the only one who had ever been there and he began to tell us, in my Father's house are many mansions. He brought light about the institution of a memorial supper. He brought light concerning an illustration of a coming day of awards in Matthew 16, 27. Could I say there's never been a prophet like this prophet? In him we have a prophet whose qualities we can never estimate, a prophet whose abilities we can never calculate, and a prophet, a prophet whose capacities we could never tabulate. He has told us the end from the beginning and his counsel abides forever. He himself is the very key of knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace, 
the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, and the gateway of glory. No wonder they said of this prophet, never man spake like this man. But I wanna remind you of something when a prophet came and he showed the light, it revealed what had previously been hidden. Remember in John chapter number four, Jesus had an encounter with this woman by the well of Samaria. And he said to her, as they begin to discuss things and they begin to carry on a conversation, Jesus said to her, go call thy husband. She responded in a good Baptist way. She said, I have no husband. She didn't really tell a lie, but she didn't really tell the truth. And uh, that's the way people like to operate. And uh, she said, I have no husband. Jesus then said to her, thou hast truly said thou hast no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Here's what her reply was. You can go and look at it, John chapter four and verse number 19. Here was her response when he shone light on that which she thought was hidden. She said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She said only a prophet would know something like this. You see, a prophet's job was to carry the light but the thing of it is, when you carry the light, it reveals those things that had been hidden. And a prophet's job was to reveal the sin of the people so that they might see themselves as God himself saw them. And Jesus came as a prophet and by his very life, a life of absolute sinlessness, a life of absolute perfection, he shone the light on what God required and what God demanded for entrance into heaven and it revealed to that all mankind has fallen short and there is no hope in and of ourselves. But I'm glad that he did not just come to be a prophet. For when we turn to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark records for us the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration and Mark will describe his, transfigura his transfiguration this way. The Bible says, and his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow so as no fuller on earth can white them. You see, while a prophet came to reveal sin, a priest had a different job. A priest came uh, to deal with that sin. And I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ came not just as a prophet, but he came as a priest. The Lord said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The day, uh, psalmist David cried out in Psalm 51 in verse number seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now the Bible tells us that his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Now that word fuller is a word that we're not familiar with. The word fuller just simply means one who is a cleaner of clothes, a, a laundry man, if you wanna put it that way. But he says his raiment became exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. You see, human efforts cannot remove the stain of sin. Uh, no man on earth can remove the stain of our sin. We need help from above. We can't do it by our works. We can't do it by our wealth. We can't do it by water baptism. We can't even do it by willpower, by turning over a new leaf and starting over again. Oh, but I'm glad that the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 11. 
And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Oh, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'm reminded of the story of back in the early days of the Civil War. A young lady was found on a winter night on the freezing streets of Cincinnati, Ohio. She was wrapped in a tattered garment. She was huddled in a doorway trying to get out of the weather and trying to stay warm. And as they began to look at her and they took her to the hospital and they, they discerned that this was a woman who had grown up in an affluent family. She had had all the well, all the trappings that wealth could afford. She had all the great opportunities. But like so many young people, she made some foolish choices. She found herself with some foolish friends and her life began a downward spiral. While they took her to the hospital and tried to revive her, she was too far gone and she passed away. And among her effects was a small purse in which there was a handwritten copy of the following poem. It says, oh, the snow, the beautiful snow, filling the sky and the earth below, over the housetops, over the streets, over the heads of the people you meet, dancing, flirting, skimming along, beautiful snow, it can do no wrong, flying to kiss a fair lady's cheek, clinging to lips and frolicsome freak, beautiful snow from heaven above, pure as an angel and gentle as love. Once I was pure as the snow, but I fell, fell like the snowflakes from heaven to hell, fell to be trampled like filth in the street, fell to be scoffed at, spit on and beat, bleeding, cursing, dreading to die, selling my soul to whoever would buy, dealing in shame for a morsel of bread, hating the living and fearing the dead. Oh, merciful God, have I fallen so low, and yet I was once like the beautiful snow, Helpless and foul as the trampled snow. Sinner, despair not, for Christ stoopeth low. To rescue the soul that is lost in sin and to raise it to life and enjoyment again. Groaning, bleeding, dying for thee, the crucified hung on the cursed tree. His accents of mercy fall soft on thine ear. Is there mercy for me? Will he heed my weak prayer? O oh God, in that stream which for sinners did flow, now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I'm glad to report this evening that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. At Calvary, Jesus was both the offerer and the offering. He was both the just and the justifier. He was both the priest and the lamb. And tonight, if you're looking to be free from the burden of sin, look to the Lamb of God. He alone can save you. Now there's a difference between the work of this heavenly priest and the work of an earthly priest. Those earthly priests, as they did their work, as they went about their labor, their goal was to make an atonement for sin. We use that word many times and often we don't understand exactly what that word atonement means. The word atonement simply means a covering. Really, here's what you could say. The priests were working to try to cover up the sin. They were working to try to kind of paint something over it so it didn't look so bad, so it wasn't so awful. 
You know not one sacrifice that an Old Testament priest offered ever canceled out a sin debt? It was kind of like this. It was kind of like, let's just suppose that you've been in a rough state and you've been living on your credit card and you owe $10,000 in debt on your credit card. Now the problem with that is you don't have a job, you don't have any income, and the debt is coming due. Well, let's just suppose that the person who owns that credit card, who owns that debt, says to you, well, if you'll just make a token payment, I'll accept it and I'll postpone. You have to actually pay the principal for another season. You would come to that person, you'd say, here's all I have. I have a $5 bill. That's all I can pay on this $10,000 debt. And they would say out of the goodness of their heart, all right, I'll accept that. That's an acknowledgement that you owe a debt that you cannot pay. You're not trying to get out of it. You know that you owe it. You just don't have the means to settle it right now. I'm willing to take that as an acknowledgement of your debt. We'll postpone payment till next month. Now, the problem is there's a 24% interest rate on that credit card. That means 2% a month. That means at the end of the month, though the debt has now been dropped to $9,995, wow, that's a big drop, isn't it? Uh, the interest, when you add it in at the end of the month, is basically $200. So now you not only owe the $10,000, but now you owe $10,195. And guess what? You still had to live on that credit card for the next month, so now you've added another $3,000 in debt. Do you get the picture? You're never going to get out from under that debt. You can pay $5 a month the rest of your life and you'll never escape. You're going further and further in the hole each and every day that passes. That's exactly what sin was like in the Old Testament. The priest would come to the altar. He would make a sacrifice. He would pour the blood out. And all it was was a token acknowledgement that there was a debt that could not be paid. But oh, I'm glad that one day the priest called Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and offered himself as the sacrifice for all sin for all mankind he said I'll pay it all I didn't know any of it it doesn't belong to me but I'm willing to take your place I'm willing to pay your debt and because of Jesus the debt has been canceled the debt has been cleared and tonight we stand absolutely sinless in the eyes of God because of the work of the priest you see while the earthly priest could merely cover it up. I'm glad that the heavenly priest came to clean it up, aren't you? And he can wash away our sin. Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew that he came to be a prophet. The Bible shows us in Mark that he came to be a priest. But I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke tonight. Here's the third occasion where we read about the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke and uh, uh, chapter number nine. Now notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that his, uh, in verse number 28, it came to pass after about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? His raiment was white and glistering. That's the only place you find this word in the New Testament in your King James Bible. The word glistering is an Old Testament English or is an old English word. It's not commonly used. G. Campbell Morgan in his commentary on Luke wrote these words. He said the old word was glistering. Now the word that really helps us because glistering baffles us, the word that helps us is lightning. His raiment became white and lightning, flashing with splendor. And I want you to notice the timing that this occurs. 
If we look in Matthew chapter 17 and verse one, number one, Matthew tells us that after six days, and then he records the events. Mark tells us in Mark chapter nine and verse number two that after six days, and he records the events. But here in Luke, Luke says, and it came to pass about an eight days after these things. Now, could I just say, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there is a difference between six days and eight days. But by the way, it's not a mistake. It's not a miscalculation. It's not a transcribal error. It's not that somebody made a mistake in translating. You say, what's the answer? It's the Holy Spirit. He wants to tell us something. It's put this way by divine design. It's written for our admonition. Now, eight days after, that would remind us of something. Now, when he came as a prophet and he came as a priest, that really focused on his earthly ministry. Six is the number of man. And his earthly ministry was among men. He walked among men. He lived among men. He proved himself to be a great prophet among men. And as and for men, he went to the cross and offered himself as the priest and the sacrifice to atone for the sins of man. But in between the sixth day and the eighth day comes the seventh day. The seventh day was the Sabbath. That was the end of the week. And the eighth day was the new beginning. It was the first day of another week. In fact, we call it Sunday. You might want to say it this way. It was resurrection day. After six days, he's a prophet. And after six days, he's a priest. Oh, Christ was not seen in his humiliation as the king. Paul said that if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they may have slain a prophet. They may have thought that they put to death a priest, but they could not kill the king. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. And on the eighth day, the resurrection day, Sunday, up from the grave, he arose. And he arose victorious over death, hell and the grave. He said to John, I am he that lived and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of hell. We know that he's called the king of the Jews. That speaks of his people. He's called the king of Israel. That tells us of his place. He's called the king of righteousness. That reminds us of his perfection. He's the king of the ages. That tells us of his perpetuity. He's the king of saints. That reminds us of his pardon. He's the king of heaven. That speaks of his peace. He's the king of glory. That tells of his pomp. And he's the king of kings. That tells us of his preeminence. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Now could I say we know he's a racial king. We know that he's a national king. We know that he's an ecclesiastical king and a spiritual king and a historical king and a celestial king and a supernal king. But I want to ask you tonight, is he your personal king? Oh, could you say, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Now, I didn't get to where I wanted to go, so let me back up just a second. Now, remember, John, uh, Luke describes his garments, and he says his raiment was white and glistering. We saw from G. Campbell Morgan that that word glistering has to do with lightning, like a flash of lightning. Now, I find an interesting verse over in Matthew's gospel that reminds me of the king. 
The Bible says in Matthew 24, in verse number 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I want to tell you tonight, yes, he came as a prophet and he revealed great things to us. He came as a priest and provided atonement for our sin. But oh, I want to tell you, one day he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming to be crucified. He's coming to be crowned. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And while as a prophet, he came to reveal sin. And as a priest, he came as the remedy for sin. I want to tell you, when he comes back, he's coming back as king to rule and reign in a place where there is no sin. I wonder if he comes tonight, are you ready to meet him? with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. Oh, what a wonderful book we have in the Word of God. And oh, what a wonderful picture we have to remind us of Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. He's the prophet. He's the priest. And He's the King. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.